Hello and welcome to a, another episode of the Construction Corner Podcast. I'm Dylan. I'm your host, joined by my blue collar badass, Matt. How are projects going in Michigan? Projects are going pretty good. You know, it's still chilly. We still have a lot of frost. Um, I'm not going to bitch about the weather today, but I am going to tell you about an interesting story, an interesting phone call I, I actually just had about 15 minutes before we, we logged on here. My superintendent calls me and he goes, hey, Matt, you know, that Project X, we got the electricity disconnected from that old building, didn't we? And I said, <laughs> oh, shit. So, so I go digging through my files and I was right. Yes, we did. The local utility company, you know, they provide a, a disconnect letter before you demo. So I'm reading it and they removed the meter. They discontinued service, blah, blah, blah. Here's the weird thing. The house has been gone now for a couple few weeks we, we tore it out my earth worker this afternoon with his excavator found a buried electrical line that's not supposed to be there and sure as hell not supposed to be live and it was very very live he wrapped it around his bucket luckily everybody was fine nobody got hurt but it, it just goes to show you that even as much as we preach about communication and and you know doing all your due diligence on the show here you can do everything possible and you still got to get these surprises. You still got to pay attention. And I don't know. I just, I was kind of blown away by the call, frankly, but obviously glad nobody was hurt. One. Yes. Like <laughs> that's awesome that nobody got hurt. Right. Uh, two, that's what you get for stealing electricity. That's uh, what we're thinking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's Somebody what... wasn't paying for it. <laughs> Or three, you know, no as-builts and, uh, you know, somebody forgot about something somewhere. But for it to still be live, you know, that's a uh... – <laughs> oh, man. Are it's the neighbors a... pissed? I haven't heard anything from them yet. We'll see. <laughs> it's, a, it's a residential house. We're torn, we tear that down, and then we're putting in a, a commercial facility. So, you know, who knows? Who knows who was who was stealing cable and electricity for how long? The house has been there for probably 50 years. But anyways, it was, it was an interesting end of the day. Uh, well, at least nobody got hurt. Right on, man. So <laughs> with that uh, shocking story, we are going to introduce our guest today, Shane Harrell. Shane uh, has, man, I think... There's probably not much you haven't done in, uh, in construction, but has been in the commercial construction world do, as a GC, construction management, on projects from, you know, a couple grand, which I don't know even how you papered those, but uh, <laughs> from 100 grand or a couple grand to, you know, 140 million spanning coast to coast. Uh, today, he's based in Texas doing residential custom homes, craftsman homes, uh, is his company and they're doing new custom builds remodels uh homes for sale and uh shane what i found interesting you know besides you know being surrounded by uh, girls and uh close to teenagers is uh your love of texas music so uh first shane welcome to the show and then my next question is what is texas music well, uh, thanks for having me, man, Dylan. And uh, Texas music, uh, well, you know, everything's bigger in Texas, right? I'll, I'll hear that. You know, we still ride our horses to, to work and all that. Now, Texas music, uh, 
around the country is probably known more as a red dirt country. Uh, it we kind of liken it back to the Willie Nelsons, Waylon Jennings back in the day, and then it's just kind of morphed over time. And uh, you know, now nowadays we have guys that that are showing up on the Nashville scene, but but really got their start here in Texas. And it, a lot of their music was based on things around Texas. You know, they sang about you know the bars and honky tonks. They you know sang about being down on the rivers and you know drinking beer and you know playing in these old you know broke down bars and and again as they they've kind of grown through the years they've, they've gone on to, to bigger things but it's uh it all got to start here and, and uh you know we're always proud of being from you know from texas and and the music coming out of it so as easy top were texas boys weren't they they were but they're a little more on the rock side <laughs> <laughs> You've got you've got some some guys that, that were more on the rock side of the, of the world, but you know they came out of Texas, and you know nowadays it's it's more kind of like I said, it's about the the culture, it's it's you know about a a, a lifestyle, say, and uh, is, is a lot of what the guys that you know that we follow now are really more about. Got it. It just reminds me, like if you watch Yellowstone, there's. Uh when jimmy's down on the ranch in texas they uh there was you know three gods is god almighty george Strait, and you know the cowboy that, that jimmy was talking to but it's one of those things you know george Strait's still uh okay. <laughs> still revered you know especially yeah. in texas <laughs> yeah well i mean it's you know it's funny because you know we just had the super bowl and they uh of course you know there's been all kinds of memes about the super bowl but one of the big ones coming out of texas is when you want a real Super Bowl show, call George. He'll, he'll... So, like it. Well, uh, Shane, why don't you why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what you're doing, um, where you came from, and how you got there? Well, so I uh, I'm a third generation construction worker. Uh, my father and grandfather both were in the electrical trade. Uh, my father owned his own electrical business, which is where I got my start. Uh, started out as a laborer and apprentice for him. Um, worked on and off, you know, through you know, school uh, into college. Uh, had the opportunity to work with my grandfather while I was in college. Uh, he came and, and spent some time working with my dad again. And um, as I got further into college, my dad decided that he was going to kind of wind things down and and uh, was tired of dealing with the uh, personnel side of, of the business. Um, and, uh, so he, he slowed things down and, and they actually went on the road for a while. And so it, it really got to the point to where I didn't have much in the way of work with them. And so I, I moved over, uh, to working with one of the GCs we'd, we'd done some work for and, um, enjoyed it. Uh, I'd always been interested in kind of the big picture of, of the projects and, and my degree is, is in construction, uh, my undergraduate degree. And, um, so it was kind of a good fit there, uh, since I, you know, had taken a liking to the overall process and, uh, worked for him. And, and, uh, and then when it was time to do my internship, uh, one of our customers, which was a pre-engineered building manufacturer, uh, used to be one of the preeminent Butler manufacturing, yep. uh, had an office in San Marcos where I grew up and, uh, we had done work for them. And so I interned with them as an estimator and, uh, they, uh, they set me up with one of their builders uh, coming out of my internship to, to go to work for them. And uh, 
came out as project manager um, right after I graduated um, and I went to work for that builder. Uh, he was a local guy, did uh, engineer buildings and, uh, you know, still around today. They, they're a, a smaller GC. And, and from there I went to what's now a regional GC, uh, big school builder at the time uh, in the area, went to work for them and uh, then moved on to uh, from there to the uh, airport project that was the, the large $140 million job. Um, and uh, did, you know, worked over there and ended up, uh, that was in San Antonio, ended up going up to DFW airport to do uh, some transportation and airport related work uh, up at DFW airport. And uh, then from there came back down to San Antonio and went to work for the national firm, which is where I kind of got the coast to coast going as a uh, project executive, kind of more on the operations management side. Um, and we, we did everything from multifamily. Uh, we did in, uh, industrial, you know, big tilt wall industrial distribution projects. We did um, federal work and you know, we did office, retail, restaurant, you know, kind of did a little bit of everything. And, uh, and then in 2017, I purchased Craftmaster Homes, which is our residential division. And uh, it's a company that had been in business for 25 years at that point. Um, so this year we're, we're going on our 30th year of being in business. And uh, I, uh, the gentleman that I purchased the business from was retiring, took it over um, and, and started kind of making it my own company, a uh, little different flair from somebody that was retiring to, you know, somebody that, it come from a, a faster paced commercial background. Um, and then uh, shortly after I started uh, running things, I had a uh, former subcontractor call me for a uh, project with a oil and gas outfit. So I uh, received a phone call on a, I believe it was a Wednesday and they told me that uh, they needed some help and uh, we had a meeting on Friday morning. So. Eric was born on Friday night and I mean on Wednesday night and ordered business cards and had them hot shipped to me and had cards to go to a meeting on Friday morning and <laughs> kind of started our commercial division. So uh, and we've done, you know, various commercial projects, uh, you know, like I said, the oil and gas side, we've done some restaurant retail, um, been looking at, at several assisted living projects here as of late. Um, and uh, also looking at, at some uh, retail and uh, possibly some medical related uh, projects coming up as well. There's a lot there to unpack. And I want to, uh, I want to get to all of it because you've got an interesting story there. Um, let's go all the way back to your time with Butler. Um, that mm -hmm. one rings familiar with me. We're, we are a Varco Pruden builder now who is now that Butler and VP are both owned by, by Blue Scope. Right. Um, so what did you do as an intern for a fabricator, for a manufacturer? Well, so I worked in the sales department and I was in estimating. So whenever a big, you know, custom buildings would come in, I would, I would work the estimates. Uh, I worked directly under the regional sales engineer. Uh, and so typically, you know, I would put together the bids. I would, if we had to outsource materials, 
uh, you know, a lot of times when you get on federal work, you know, yeah, they'll spec Butler as your, as your building, but they won't use any components from Butler aside from the frame. Yeah. You go buy everything else, you know, outsourced in, in OEM. So I would be trying to find people who would sell one to us uh, since we were Butler and we competed against, it was like, I'd call Barco and say, hey, can I buy your panels? You know, and they're going to tell me where, what I can do with those, you know? Right. <laughs> you know, uh, but, uh, and we used to compete a lot, you know, Barco and Butler back in the day were two of the heaviest hitters, yeah. you know, in the country. And, and uh, so we competed a lot against Barco. And uh, <clears throat> it was, you know, we would, of course, at that point, this was 94. So, you know, it wasn't like I had great software to work with and that it was, you know, you, you did have some internet, but, you know, a lot of it was still going and, and trying to find those vendors around the country and you know, yellow pages. And, um, but uh, yeah, that was, that was kind of what I did. I mean, it was, I put the estimates together, um, gave them to either the, the sales engineer or the, uh, the main uh, area sales manager uh, for that particular plant. And uh, and then I would work with our engineers in-house as well, you know, in terms of what it would take for us to, to provide the, you know, the building itself. Um, you know, sometimes it was kind of kicking them along to, to help us get more competitive on it because, you know, as you probably know, in dealing with the pre-engineered side, if you get something that's not perfectly 90 degrees square, they, they start spinning. <laughs> yeah, very much so. So, you know, and it's weird now because now that they're, they're both owned by the same parent company, mm -hmm. but they still fight back and forth like siblings and, and they still compete. Um, and frankly, it's a, it's a tough gig right now. You know, we were kind of talking before we went live about supply chain issues, which obviously everyone's heard about. Well, the whole allure of the pre-engineered or, or metal building system, as they call it now, was that you could get it really fast, right? It was a little bit cheaper but really you, you save so much time. Right. Pre-engineered building kits now are like 54 weeks lead mm -hmm. time. So there is no, no savings anymore. So those guys are, are really fighting. It seems to, to keep their competitive advantage in the marketplace. Cause it was kind of stripped away from them throughout what's going on now. Right. Yeah, no, for sure. I, uh, and it's funny you say that cause I was, I was pricing out a, uh, uh, this nine, different bill or i'm sorry six nine thousand square foot buildings for uh one of my subcontractors is looking at doing his new office and then you know having some lease space mm -hmm. with him and called my primary supplier who is not a national their local vendor and uh he's like he goes i i can't do that much right now shane he goes i he goes i can't even get the stuff up. i've already committed that it's been bid that I've been waiting on, you know, answers to, because I, I just can't do it. And uh, so it, now it's like, okay, now what am I going to do? Cause now I'm going, you know, I don't have those commitments, like it, at least having the relationship with Marco, you know, now I'm going out on the street to try and find somebody else to provide that. So yeah, it's, it's going to be very difficult. Yeah. It, it's a tough market without a doubt. So Shifting gears a little bit, um, I really want to cover this <clears throat> briefly is, so the K-12 market in Texas in particular, 
So uh, Texas has a lot of independent school districts. I know some of this because we used to do a lot of work in Texas or uh, we've built a few high schools um, and like other K-12 like private schools within, uh, we did one in Houston and a few others. But some of the, like you see these schools being built in Texas, I'm just curious on your experience uh, with those schools because you'll see 500,000 square foot high school high schools, purely high schools be put up in Texas, which is yeah. just like, even for like uh, most like uh, the Midwest is like insane. Um, I mean, for, for these buildings, but kind of your experience for the, like some of these projects, you know, you're putting up like a billion dollar, you know, uh, or some of the, the bonds that get passed are like billion dollar bonds for school districts in Texas. Because again, mm -hmm. if you're putting up a 500,000 square foot building, you know, you're looking at at least, you know, 120 plus million dollars to do it with fields and everything. Yeah. So if you want to elaborate yeah. on Texas yeah, no, school so, districts. Well, so school, yeah, school building is, is still like super, super large in terms of the commercial market. And uh, it, it it's a just a constant. I mean, they're, they're the guys that I used to work for, um, I mean, they still are huge across the state of Texas in the school market, very, very successful in it. Um, but it, it is a tight market. I mean, yes, the dollars are, are large, but in the square footage is large, but you also have the, the population. I mean, you know, we talked briefly, you know, about my girls getting close to teenagers or my oldest one getting close to a teenager. So the elementary school that they go to, um, my daughter is in fifth grade. So she, it opened when she was in first grade and it was designed for 800 kids when it opened. They have already added on eight classrooms and they did that last year and they anticipate it to be at full capacity uh, by next year. And they will be adding another elementary school in this development that they put it into uh, here in the coming uh, few years. Uh, we, the, the growth that we have is, is, is huge. Um, so, you know, you, you look at that, so that's that elementary school. Well, what does that mean? That means although that many kids are going to be going to middle school. That means that many kids are going to be going to high school. Um, the last high school that I worked on was, it was um, between uh, Austin and San Antonio. Um, and at the time it was designed for right around 1200 kids. And I, I'm not positive, but I believe they probably have about 3000 kids there now uh, at that high school. And uh, it's crazy. I mean, and, and that was, that would have been 2004, 2000, probably opened in 06. Uh, it's probably, I think, you know, the fall of 06, if I remember right, or fall of 05, I guess, fall of 05 is when we opened. So uh, just the, the, that, and when we were building that school, I believe there was two subdivisions on the, the farm to market road that we built it on. Now there's probably 30, and, you know, within a, like a five mile stretch. I mean, that, but that's the kind of population growth and kind of, but, you know, to your point, that's why we have schools that are 500,000 square feet you know they're, they're like malls i mean they really are you know the the expanse that they stretch is it's like a mall i mean i i want I'm trying to remember i 
I think that high school was about 300,000 feet when we built it. But again, we put in the infrastructure, not so much classroom space, but like all, because you have all your gyms, you have, you have a major theater, you know, all the cafeteria space, you know, and then you just add on for the additional classrooms as, as it grows. Um, of course, you know, we, we talked about the Texas music, you know, one of the other things down here in Texas is pretty big is football. Um, you know, so some of these other bond packages, you start looking at these stadiums and, uh, it's like a $25 million stadium package, you know, cause everything it's, it's built in place, uh, stands, you know, it ain't metal bleachers, place concrete, yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> hey, metal bleachers that, you know, I had for my mm. games and stuff. Like it's, you know, real, and you have like a real visitors section, like it's a bowl for these high schools, you know, like, you know, some of the podunk colleges, you know, I knew in Indiana, like Texas high schools had better stadiums than like, you know, uh, a college in Indiana. Like, it's just, it's crazy. Like, you know, for some of the infrastructure that gets built. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, we, we certainly don't have anything of that scale here in Michigan for K-12. Not that I've seen anyways. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, you, we're talking about really big, huge commercial buildings that, that you've worked on. Um, I, I got to ask, what, what led you to kind of jump ship, take a right turn and, and go into residential? Well, it's, it's kind of a twofold scenario. One, I always want to own gig. You know, I, you know, I like the man, but I was tired of working for him. <laughs> we get it. You're in the right place. <laughs> yeah. uh, the other, the other is, is really the, the client interface. Uh, you know, when I was doing the bigger work, uh, I used to kid about it, but it was very serious was, am I going to process, build a project? Meaning am I going to sit here and just touch paper all day? Or am I going to project build it? Meaning we're going to go out and actually get a project done and we're we're going to be proud of what we do at the end of the day. And the larger the project, the less builder mentality I would see in it. And, you know, again, coming from that background with my father and grandfather, there was was pride in the blue collar work. And, you know, when I was doing that $140 million job, it was it was tough. I mean, I was a senior project manager. I answered to a project executive and a vice president. And, uh, you know, I would spend, there were weeks I would spend 40 hours in meetings. That's what it was. It was just red tape. And then we would get to a point and I would, you know, then I would have to turn around and go out in the field and spend, you know, two or three straight days in the field trying to remedy or, come up with a game plan as to how we would, you know, move forward with something that we've been battling over. And, and it just, to me, it lost the, the luster of being a builder. And uh, that's what I wanted to get back to and, and really working with the customer to, to kind of build that relationship. And uh, so that's, that's really what kind of led me down that path. It was, it was two, those two t- items and it was just, okay, how am I going to do this? And, and, you know, this particular, uh, and never opened up and, and allowed me that opportunity. I, I get it. Um, I mean, I went in the opposite direction. I, I started in residential and went to commercial, but, but what you just described is the exact reason why I'm a shitty project manager, because 
I can't handle all of the monotony and the paperwork and the forms upon forms. And, you know, I, I on the sales side, the pre-con side, I, I do my fair share of, of, you know, estimates and, and paperwork and stuff, but I get that face-to-face interaction with all of our clients. So I, I completely can see where you're coming from. It's a, it's a drastic change, you know, in work product, but you know, it allows you the autonomy and, and the face-to-face. So that makes a lot of sense. That's a, it's an interesting answer. And one that I haven't heard previously when we've been doing these shows. Mm-hmm. And one other thing is, as you look at the commercial versus the residential, typically on the residential side, you see your money a little faster. Just not as much of it. It's not as much, but you see it, you know, yeah. that's that, you know, when I was talking about the oil and gas industry, that was one of the, the backbreakers is you're generally 120 days before you see that first check. And, uh, you know, I, I can't live like that very long. Uh, not many people can, man. That's, yeah. that's brutal. Um, yeah, we, we've talked before, you know, the differences and I'll get, we'll get new subs once in a while that'll come in, you know, smaller, smaller scale guys, and they want to deposit. And, and we look mm-hmm. at them like they're speaking a foreign language, you know, right. you don't get a deposit in commercial world, but, but you flip the fence into residential and sure you could get, you know, all your materials paid for before the job mm-hmm. starts. And that's yeah. commonplace. Right. So, so with that kind of that commercial mentality though, I got to imagine you brought some of that mentality and that, that pace because commercial typically runs faster, I think, than mm-hmm. residential. For sure. did, did you bring some of that into the residential side of what you're doing now? Yes and no. I mean, you can try and, you know, put that, that square peg in the round hole, but it doesn't always work. So there, there's things that I've, I've tried to do that, you know, and, and to your point, how can I, utilize some of those those practices and those processes from the commercial world and you know trying to do that i mean trying to like from a scheduling perspective you know one most of these subcontractors and that's i think to some point of somewhat what with the pay that you were just mentioning you know one depositor that they can't see you know to the tip of their nose sometimes with with regard to schedule you know monies any of that kind of stuff so you're having to you know, you're having to kind of force it. And so that's one thing that I feel like I've been able to try to do with most of these subs is communicate it better because I have a plan, you know, take that, you know, that schedule that we've built, uh, you know, or that's commonplace in, in the commercial world and really bring it back into the residential where you're communicating with the subs. Now, kind of to our earlier discussion of supply chain, it gets a little more difficult when those things impact the project and then you things start slipping and, and, what I've planned for no longer works because you know, sub A is two weeks late because of the material. Then sub B is, he's like, look, dude, you lost your slot. I'm a month out. You know, so those kind of things have been more challenging um, because those guys typically don't have the resources like you would in a commercial environment where you might get, you know, they have 20 guys and, you know, a lot of these may be, you know, the owner and two guys, you know, so it's a single crew that you're getting out of an entire company. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I've tried to, but I've tried to utilize that, um, one area where I, I feel like I failed, uh, just from the, the kind of the background is, is like on the safety side, trying to get these guys to understand that is right over, <laughs> you know? um, it's a constant battle to, to try and, 
I, you know, really just get them to, to understand any of those, those elements. Um, not at, at the level at which we would have done into a commercial level, but just the general, you know, side of it. You know, I, I was actually having a conversation with my son. My, my oldest is, he'll be 15 next month. And I drive him to school in the mornings and he was talking about steel-toed boots for some reason the other day. And I started laughing. I said, you know, my, my first pair of steel-toed boots, I bought them when I was building houses because I felt like I, I should. Like I put them on once and they hurt my damn feet so bad, I never wore them again. And, you know, to, to talk about safety, like we, we didn't do anything. I mean, I'd wear, I'd wear boots, but that was the extent of my, my PPE, right? There was never a hard hat. There was never a harness. I'd be walking along trusses, you know, carrying board. It, it's amazing that more people don't get hurt, right. frankly, because it was, it was like the wild, wild west when I was building houses there, you know, there was no one ever going to come in. There was no OSHA that would show up on a, on a residential site to, to slap your hand or issue a fine. So it was, you know, as long as you don't fall off and, and die, you just keep doing what you're doing. And to think about that now, it, it's kind of crazy to me. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and that's, you know, that's part of the challenge is, is trying to get guys to understand, you know, and, and, you know, and, and again, that's something that, you know, I want to try to bring to the, to the guys that work for us is, you know, a safe work environment. I mean, we want every one of our employees to go home safely at night. Most of them don't really understand what that means in terms of our, our envisionment of it, but that's what we want. You know, we want them to do things right. Um, again, big picture is, is it's a quality product and, and that's one of the elements of the quality. So in that, like in, you know, we talk about scheduling, getting people in with your, you know, uh, subcontractor partners in building this, you know, around residential and trying to bring some scheduling, some kind of, if you will, rigidity in a way to the project, you know, and like, this is when it needs to get done, which I get supply chain being uh, its own beast and, and thing that you can't really control. But in that, like, in seeing more of the mentality, right, coming from big commercial projects, right, where you will be here, you will meet milestones, you will do this, like, you know, and, and it's enforced to kind of a, a day in, day out, uh, mentality, right? Like just in residential, or I guess, how is that mindset different? I re is really the question, right? From commercial, you know, and that that's really the, the world that I've come from, you know, mm -hmm. besides me personally, like putting a roof on, you know, or like doing right. stuff or, you know, helping guys out with whatever, you know, when I was a teenager, uh, building houses, but like past that, like, what's the, what's the mindset difference that you see with your subs versus, you know, when you were in, especially these big commercial projects? Well, I mean, one is, you know, on the big commercial, of course, uh, is about the LLC, you know, I mean, there, there is the rigidity there. I mean, there's, you get to work at, you know, seven o'clock in the morning and, you know, in the residential world, typically it's nine, nine thirty. you know, then they go to lunch, <laughs> then they come back. And then they're gone at, you know, at 3.30. Just, you know, like the, the commercial guys would leave at 3.30, but they started at 7 had a 30-minute lunch on site, you know. Uh, but residential, I mean, it's it's just, it's a nine-day difference in, in how they approach it. It's it, it's almost like the the whole lifestyle is different from from the, the mentality of the worker, you know. And, and 
of course, you know, Texas being, being open, uh, the, you know, the union contingent is much smaller on the commercial end. I mean, it's non-existent in residential, uh, but it's much smaller on the commercial end. Uh, typically it's, it's in the commercial realm of construction, you only see it generally in your MEP trades. Um, and, and that's not a large portion of it, but it, that's when you'll see it. Uh, if you get into the, the heavier side, you might see more of the millwrights and, and ironworker than that, but it's very rare to see that in a general commercial project. Well, this, the, the mentality though is still, you know, much more rigid on the commercial side kind of to that end versus, you know, the residential. And, and I think the residential, like you said, still kind of, you know, Matt, you said earlier that the wild, wild west, it's still that. I mean, they've just, the, the guys, it, it's run looser. The, one of the big things that, that most of the subcontractors here are just labor brokers uh, on the residential side if they have a contingent of labor. So, you know, it's just, you know, they're just paying some cash out and, you know, it's, that's a lot of what they do. Well, there is no relationship between the sub and the employee there. You know, if it's if it's being brokered, um, now, so like so in that is it is it because of like the cyclical nature that Texas typically goes through with like oil? You know that it's it's more boom bust than the rest of the country. I mean, I know you're not in like Dallas or Houston, right? Bigger oil towns, but like I would, I'm I'm guessing here, but like correct me, like in the is that because Texas goes through more big cycles? of boom bust i wouldn't say specific to the the cycles like that on the residential now on the commercial side you may see more of that because the the pay scales of commercial construction versus oil and gas side when oil and gas starts to, to uptrend you know you can make some some very very good money um and uh so you you do have some issues there on the residential side, typically the only time we really see much of, of our employee contingent moving over is really more on the, the CDL type stuff because they can go drive out in the oil field and make four times what they're making driving for, you know, a red mix company or hauling, you know, gravel. Uh, you know, so we do see a lot of the CDL type, you know, drivers disappear. Uh, but that's been an issue for some time just because ever since the economy came out of the recession, we, we've never really fully recovered in those, those type of, uh, of trades. Yeah. I mean, I didn't help with that oil tanked in like 14. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you came out of it and oil tanked, you know, that, that doesn't help for, for Texas and that economy. Um, but uh, I mean, so we've kind of talked around like housing and uh, the, you know, big influx of people in Texas. I mean, uh, still today, like how, what's the, what's the housing market look like? What's kind of the, and what's the future look like? Well, right now, I mean, the housing market is, is on fire. Um, the future still, I mean, all the indicators say the future looks, looks good. And we're going to continue to have the people coming in. Um, you know, one of the things for, a guy like me versus, you know, a national home builder like a DR Horton or Fulte or, 
you know, those type of, of companies, you know, we are, we're somewhat married to the people coming in that, that are looking for that custom home. So it's, it's getting those touch points. Whereas, you know, the, the, the bigger guys, they're building them and they're selling. I mean, they're actually turning people away because they can't build them fast enough. Uh, but they're building at a different price point at a different quality level. Um, now I do compete with some of the subs, you know, trying to, to get some of the subs working for me versus them. Um, and it typically isn't the primary sub that works direct for me. It's it may be a tertiary sub. Um, but what they're doing is, is, is the production guys are, are paying and they're having to pay more uh, because they can't get the production there. Um, and so they're paying guys, you know, that, that used to um, may sub be, a, you know, like a, a second tier or third tier sub to one of my primary subs. They would come in and, and they would work, you know, two days a week for us, and there would be three days on the on the production side. Well, now all of a sudden they're six days on the production side because they're paying them the overtime now to, to work the production. And so we we can't even, you know, com- we can't compete because one, I can't pay. I shouldn't say I can't pay. It's hard for me to pay an extra, you know, two dollars a square foot, you know, to a subcontractor to come in to do something that he's doing the same work, but because production guys are now paying them overtime because they're just cranking them. Uh, and, and they're set up, you know, they're not mobilizing to my site. Like, like, you know, they have to, for me, they're set up in the subdivision. They may do a hundred houses in the subdivision. So their incremental cost has gone to basically nothing because they can just stay there and keep working. Um, and they're getting comparable money to what we're paying. Um, so that's that's been a challenge for us. I think, you know, I, I still think that unless the economy does, you know, doesn't completely tank, that we're going to be uh, we're going to be good here in Texas with, with regard to the residential side and, and the commercials following, you know, suit with it. I mean, it's we got to have places for these people to, you know, to shop, to go to, you know, to work. And um, of course, you know, with the, the, the work from home, we do have people coming in that. Uh, you know, some of the markets that I, that I cover are kind of outside of, you know, in the rural areas that people may go into the city two days a week now. So it may be an hour and a half commute, but they're able to work from home the other three days and they're out in the country and, you know, they're three or four acres and then they're not on somebody you know, five feet away. So, you know, it's, it's a different dynamic than what it once was. For sure. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking at your website right now and you're building a very, very different product from what the Pulteys and the Toll Brothers are, are crapping out. So, mm-hmm. I mean, do you, like, these are craftsmen, craftsmanship, you know, they're craft master homes, mm-hmm. you know, this, this Canyon Lake one, first of all, is really cool. Um, but do you, do you find that you can use that to your advantage to attract maybe not higher tier subs, but, but better craftsmen subs, you know, like to, you know, give them the, the romance of, listen, we're not building tract homes. We're building this or the, or the cedar one with all the stone on it. You know, they, they don't look like your, your typical boring subdivision house. Well, we do. And in as much as we're able to keep the guys busy, where, where yeah. I the challenge is, is because I am smaller. If I don't have the production, I'll lose those subs and 
because they've got five other houses that, that they can go build. And there's, there's some production guys that are building not exactly like me, but that are smaller production, but, but doing a higher end kind of, they would compete. I'd say more like with a toll brothers type product um, where it's a, semi-custom i guess for lack of a better term to the okay. to these where they let the people come in make some selections um but it's still a production floor plan um and uh so those guys end up being more of my competitors than you know say the pulties or or those type of, of guys um because they are and they're building unfortunately a lot of the subdivisions in this area have allowed them to come in now and so they're they're now building in those subdivisions, and it's creating additional competition for guys like me, um, where these were originally strictly custom. Now the semi-custom guys are two thirds of the subdivision. So you're a general contractor, obviously. How many employees do you have? Now it's just me. Okay, so you are you, you're a strictly Sorry. paper GC and sub out everything. Sub out everything. Okay. Um, and uh, we, uh, when when the pandemic hit, we were looking to we were at the point where we we're fixing to start making some hires to to kind of grow the business, and and it, uh, you know, like everybody, we didn't know what it was going to look like. Um, and uh, so I elected to just run the work that we had at the time. And you know, you can't be in the field in the office both, and is is things started to open up, which, you know, we were lucky in Texas. Texas was, was pretty open the whole time in terms of allowing us to do things. Um, but I wasn't back in the office quick enough to start building, uh, you know, the relationships to, to move forward because when it, when the pandemic hit all of my leads uh, and have never come back, uh, those leads never did. So then it's, it's like, I'm kind of retooling the business yet again to, to rebuild it up. Um, so that we would be able to move forward again. Um, and uh, so I'm, I'm just about to that point to start bringing the people back on, you know, and, and allow us to, to start that growth pattern again. So I'm going to kind of change directions a little bit, but a question I don't usually ask, but if you're doing everything and I've been there and this is why, it, this is why I want to hear your answer, but you know, you're, you're judge, jury, executioner. You're doing everything from sales, estimating, project management, supervision, billing, accounting, all of it, you know, soup to nuts. How the hell do you balance that with a family? Because I've seen your Facebook, you've got two adorable little girls, you're married. You know, where do you, what do you do to make sure that you don't lose touch of that? Well, first, thank you for that. Um, but one, one of the best things that, that has happened for me and in, in being in business for myself is my office is literally five minutes from my house. Nice. So I can, I can come down to my office to get out of the house. Uh, so I can, I can focus on the work. Um, but then I can also run home if I need to, you know, work on homework or, you know, run one of the girls to a function or be home with one of them while, my wife takes them out. So it's, it's been very good for me. And, and that, you know, when we talked earlier about, you know, some of the relationship of, of the commercial to residential and making that transition, that was one of the deciding factors. I was on the road, you know, about two and a half days a week 
And there were days where I may be in town at night. Like I would come home, go to bed and yeah. I would go in the morning and catch a flight to Missouri, for instance. In Missouri, fly out at seven, eight o'clock at night, get home at midnight again, go to bed, get up, and I'd go to work and be in the office the next day, get home at six or seven at night, and you know, kiss my kids to go to bed, kind of thing. It was just like it got to the point to where that that balance wasn't there for me. Um, and not that this is perfect by any means, but you know, to your point, it being so close has been been very helpful. In allowing me to do the things that, that I need to do. And, you know, when I try and get up well ahead of the family in the mornings, uh, try and run a morning routine to where I'm able to start getting, you know, things done well before they're ever up. Uh, I do get to, to see both my kids in the morning. Uh, take them, I typically uh, take them to school in the mornings, um, which has been nice. I mean, I, you know, really since I've gone on my own, I've seen my children more than I did before, you know, when I was doing the, the other. So it's been convenient. Now, that's not to say there's not sacrifices to get made, but uh, of course, it's, you know, it, being so close, I think it's probably one of the biggest elements to allow me to, to have that balance in life right now. No, that, that's great. And, and I get it. Um, you know, I did kind of the same thing. I traveled a lot for about a decade in a former career and I was, you know, five to six nights away and it just got insane. Uh, and then I came back and, and I had a job with a, a large GC locally and I was working 80 hour weeks. So same difference. And, you know, I, I jumped ship and honestly the whole COVID nonsense, you can't see it because of my background, but it, it caused me to build an office right next to my house. So I have a, a full office over here that I can, I can step outside of the house. So, you know, dad's not home. You can't come knock on the door, but I can shut the door here and focus, but I can bounce back and forth. And, and I'm not here full time. I'm here a couple of days a week, especially when we're recording, but it's, it's a cool, it, it's great to have that balance back. So I, I get what you exactly what you're saying. Shane, where can everybody find you and what, cities just so that we spell it out for everybody are you building in so i guess uh, the easiest and probably the most prevalent place i'm, I'm found is going to be on facebook um our company is is craftmaster homes lc so it's at craftmaster homes lc um website is, is craftmastercustomhomes.com um and uh we also are, are pretty active on linkedin um with uh, with Crabmaster Homes as well. Uh, I actually, you know, in the, in the commercial world, I used to use it uh, really more from a recruiting perspective, and so I, I had a huge contingent of people. So when I when I started, you know, the the residential side, I thought, well, I already got the, the following there. Not that I was really posting anything to get any following, but I had the connection to people, and uh, so I've, I've utilized that. It, it to me, it doesn't have as much traction as Facebook does because of, you know, what we post out on it, but uh, it, it's still out there. Um, and then in terms of the areas that we work in, primarily um, we work between Austin and San Antonio, uh, I-35 corridor out probably 50 miles each direction, east and, you know, north and south, east and west, kind of how, however you're looking at it at that particular city, this which when you're running, but um, we, uh, 
you know, we, we try to say New Braunfels is where I'm based at. And, and that's, uh, that's in between, you know, almost right in between Austin and San Antonio. Um, Schlitterbahn is based here, uh, which y'all may have heard of. Um, they've got a couple of them around the country now. Um, there's one in, in Kansas City, uh, Midwest area. So that's why I thought it might, might have. <laughs> um, but uh, anyhow, so we, uh, we're based here in New Braunfels and, uh, you know, we, we can go wherever. I mean, I, I, I was recently bidding some, some work in Austin and San Antonio on the multifamily side. Um, I, I'm uh, looking at, at a medical facility coming up in Kerrville, which is probably about 45 minutes outside of San Antonio, kind of north northwest of San Antonio, about an hour and 15 minutes from here. Um, so, you know, it's kind of project-based as to the range, but our sweet spot, I would say, is probably about 50 miles out in a you know, encompassing this New Braunfels area. Awesome. And then, uh, as we're running up on <laughs> a little bit on time, is kind of one really what is the biggest problem that you? you see within the industry and kind of, if you want to also wrap your kind of closing thoughts in that too, but a uh, problem solution that you see throughout construction and any, uh, any final thoughts? Well, um, it, I'll, I'll kind of hit back to the supply chain labor, which we kind of bounced around a little bit on both of those. Um, I think those are going to be ongoing issues for our industry. Um, you know, unfortunately, uh, you know, we hadn't brought sexy back to, you know, being in the field of construction in the blue collar world. So, uh, you know, I used to always joke with our superintendents about that. We, the younger generations are not endeavoring into it. And a lot of that's on us because we're pushing kids to go to college, not to take a trade. Um, and I, I think we might start to see a little bit of that kind of come back around, but the trades people are getting so old, bringing the, the craftsman side to it is not going to be there. Um, similarly, we've outsourced all of our manufacturing overseas, so even that blue-collar element of work, until we get that back over here, uh, I think it's going to be an ongoing issue from a supply you know, perspective. Um, solutions to that, yes, we can try and engage more young people to, to get into it, but I think it's going to be, you know, what can we do from a, uh, a building perspective to be more efficient? You know, whether it be alternative construction methods, the, you know, the, maybe the 3D printing, the, you know, the SIP construction becoming more prevalent, um, you know, doing things that, that we might be able to integrate more into the field. Um, or even, you know, again, the, the planning and scheduling. I mean, it, it, it's not going to be this, I want a building, let's go build it tomorrow. It, it, be, we have to start planning these things more in advance, integrating, uh, you know, the, the design systems into the construction more, uh, I think will help. Um, you know, so I, I think there's a lot of things that we can do that, to make us better, uh, but I think they're going to be a challenge. Um, I, I don't know that, you know, how effective robotics are going to be into it. Uh, I know they're trying to use more of it. It's kind of like the 3D printing side. Um, but I don't think it's gonna gonna replace the craftsman at the end of the day. So I, I think it's gonna be an ongoing challenge, and, and uh, I think it's just really 
planning better, um, I think is, is hopefully what's going to make, you know, us successful in the future. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you on that, that answer, Shane. I mean, it, it's a, it's a mix of becoming really, really efficient and really good at what we do, but also boosting that attraction to, to infill the ranks, you know, below us. And, you know, there's got to be a healthy balance we can find to, to do both of those, but it's going to take a full scale effort on both of those fronts to, to, to keep the ship moving. Well, Shane, uh, thank you for coming on. Um, Matt, any other final thoughts that you've got for today's show? Shane, I, I appreciate the time, man. It's a, it's a really cool story you have and uh, I wish you the best in, in your future endeavors. I appreciate it. Thank y'all both. All right, guys, today we've covered a wide range of, of topics from, you know, big, <laughs> massive projects to uh, Texas music, you know, most importantly on the show, to uh, really the things that we've been talking about here for a while. You know, at the end of the day, we need to bring people back to the trades. We've got to plan, communicate better at the end of the day and, you know, bringing it's not just bringing more people into the trades, but understanding and really communicating that construction has a lot of value. There's a lot of skill that goes into what we do into the craftsmanship of building. You know, it's not just slapping some tile together, <laughs> you know, slapping a floor down for these homeowners, you know, that want it tomorrow, right? They, they want a nice home. They want a great place to live. You want a good office building. You want something that's not a hole in the wall or you're worried about falling through floors. You know, like at the end of the day, what we do is provide a, a great product and something that is to be proud of. You know, like Shane talked about from coming from, from big construction where he didn't feel that it was, I mean, at the end of the day, those are some pretty big buildings to be proud of, but to, but to be hands-on, you know, and a lot of us, on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, we we are in the trenches, seeing these buildings come out of the ground, seeing projects go from concept to completion. You know, it's a big deal. So, being proud of what we do in construction, being proud of the trades, being proud of the people that we work with on a day-to-day -day basis, and being able to communicate effectively from you know, day laborer to owner, right? And communicating up and down the chain and just the people that are in our communities of what we do is it's a huge service not only to the industry but our communities as a whole guys so i really hope that you took some really good nuggets out of today's episode and again you continue to spread the message of the trades construction you know engineering gcs architecture it's it's a good career it's a great place to be there's a lot of latitude a lot of opportunity that you have within this industry you know from barely touched on it but oil and gas to residential to you know big commercial projects uh there's a lot of space for all of us to be so again guys thank you so much for listening to this episode and go ahead and share the show out and that is this episode of the construction corner podcast until next time